Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And this week I'm talking with Angela Pugh, who has her own podcast called Addiction Unlimited, where she shares stories of recovery and triumph over addiction. And Angela herself is now sober from alcohol addiction and she tells her inspiring story in this episode and we make a really strong connection between alcohol and sugar. We'll get to our chat in just a minute. But first, I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking for some free resources about how to cut sugar, then I have plenty for you. Come check out the Life After Sugar Facebook page and subscribe to the Life After Sugar YouTube channel as well as my Instagram account at mylifeaftersugar which is where you'll get all kinds of inspiration. Pictures of meals, short reels, useful info to get you started on your Life After Sugar as well as thought-provoking quotes and even sometimes pictures of our cat so that you can see that it's perfectly possible to live a happy and active life, even if you don't eat sugar. You can also check out my TikTok account at netta underscore life after sugar. And if cravings are getting in the way and causing you to fall off the wagon, then I have five tips for you, especially if you're an intermittent faster, to help you get rid of cravings. Go to aftersugarclub.com and download your five tips today. You can also find my simple guide for getting more energy with less sugar by going to aftersugarclub.com, scrolling down to the bottom and clicking on Simple Guide. And while you're there at aftersugarclub.com, you can also have a look at the videos I've made for you to show you what to eat that doesn't contain added sugars, where to find real whole foods at the grocery store, and also how to look after your gut health with fermented foods and drinks. All right, so here's my chat with Angela. Okay, so today I'm with Angela Pugh and we're going to be talking about alcohol and sugar. And to begin, can you tell us a little bit about your background with sugar and with food and then eventually with alcohol, please? Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure to do this and have this conversation with you. Um, You know, sugar in food for me, I am a recovering alcoholic, but I always say food was probably my first addiction long before I ever had a drink. So I come from a family that really revolved around food and family dinners were really important. And I started to connect that connection with other people with food and eating. And 
as I got older and became an adult, then that was restaurants and romanticizing all of the things that go with that. And, you know, great company and a beautiful restaurant with beautiful food. And, and it was just such an incredible experience. But what I recognize now is I put a lot of expectations on food to, to create these situations and create these feelings and bring joy and bring happiness. And, you know, just like with alcohol, once you start having an expectation that something performs for you and provides you a certain result, that's, that's an unhealthy relationship. And sugar was very much the same way for me. You know, I can look back on being a young person. I always loved sugar again, same thing, even within my family, you know, I grew up, I was a kid in the seventies. So everything was homemade, made from scratch and baking was a huge part of our lives. My grandmother, my mother, like everybody baked and it was a big event because it was all made from scratch. So it was like all day in the kitchen, making pies and cobblers. And I always loved that stuff. And really my sugar addiction really kicked off once I quit drinking. When I got sober, I really turned to sugar way more than I ever had in my past. It became much more important to me, probably for the internal parts of that, right? Where alcohol is processed as sugar in your body. So my body was definitely used to a certain level of sugar. So I think that was a natural craving But also, you know, going to recovery meetings and always having a ton of sugary treats available every day, you know, and everybody bakes and brings their cookies and brownies and whatever to the recovery meetings and bring donuts on the weekends. And it just became such a normal part of life. And then that relationship turned unhealthy also, where emotional eating Um, really turning to, well, let me get a pint of ice cream and that will make me feel better tonight. And that will be my company for the evening, you know, to, to fill some of the void of, of a million things, you know, loneliness, boredom. I mean, you name it. And I used sugar for it. Yeah. Yes. And would, and you were saying that you use sugar more once alcohol was out the picture. Yeah. Well, and food too, because once I was in a really deep stage of alcoholism, I didn't really eat much anymore, you know, because it, I mean, when I woke up in the day, like I would be too sick to eat, too hungover. So I couldn't eat or drink or drink water. I couldn't do anything for several hours. And then by, you know, evening time, I would start drinking again and I wouldn't be hungry. So I really didn't eat a lot in general at, you know, the last few years of my drinking, for sure. Wow. So drinking on an empty stomach or almost, that can't be that good for you, I imagine. Well, I don't think drinking as much as I drank was good for you, (laughs) regardless of the food. But I'll tell you, I mean, this is one of the things that where that relationship with alcohol was so toxic, because I didn't necessarily want to eat food because I didn't want it to take up my stomach space. <laughs> you know, oh, like I, would think, I need that stomach space for food, you know, or for drinking. I didn't want food in there. I needed it for drinking. Yes. Got that. Okay. How old were you when you got sober? I got sober at 33 and a half. And what made you decide? Well, was it a decision to get sober? No, <laughs> it was not. It was not planned. Um, 
I have very stereotypical sort of story in that way. I had a rock bottom moment. It was very dramatic and terrifying. I crashed my car uh, at 70 miles an hour and I hit another car and it, it was really scary. And in that moment, I had a few thoughts, you know, and I don't remember a lot from my accident. You know, I was not in the best state of mind, of course, but one of the things first, when I, I hit that other car, I thought I had killed the person that I hit. And just because we were on the freeway and I hit him at freeway speed and I had this thought of, oh my gosh, like I just killed somebody and I have to call my mom now and tell her I just killed somebody. And that's not an easy thing to think about. And I have this incredible mom who has no addiction issues, who's the sweetest, kindest, most honest person. And that was one of the things I thought. And then they told me that the guy I had hit was fine. He was not hurt. So that was taken care of. But then the other thought was, I felt like I was really trying my hardest to die with my drinking, the way that I drink at, and drinking every single day. And I always thought that one night I would just go to sleep and never wake up again. You know, I never had any expectation of living to be an older person. I always assumed I would be dead by 40. And, and I thought it would be because of drinking. And here I am standing in this situation on the side of the freeway with police and ambulance, you know, flashing lights everywhere. I'm confused because I'm not even sure everything that has happened in that moment. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like I'm trying my best to die every day and I'm just not dying. Like there must be something else I'm meant to do. There mm -hmm. must be some other purpose for me. Wow. Yeah. And you weren't sober at the time. I mean, you were drunk, right? When you yes. had thought. Yes. Well, and it was really scary too, because it had never crossed my mind that I could hurt another person. Like I knew I could hurt myself, right? And I had hurt myself in various ways, but I never thought about hurting somebody else, which sounds absurd when you think about drinking and driving. And we all hear, you know, drinking and driving is the worst thing you can do, but it just never crossed my mind. I think because I did it so frequently and nothing ever happened. It just wasn't on my radar that that could happen. Yeah. Yes. Well, it makes sense in, you know, in its own logic. Yeah. <laughs> um, why do you think that it's outlawed, illegal to drink and drive and not to eat sugar and drive? Well, I think the effects of sugar are very different. You know, alcohol, I mean, I don't know that my hand-eye coordination is compromised with sugar. I don't think, um, I mean, my thought processes are definitely compromised to a certain extent, but I'm not irrational with sugar where you are with alcohol. My vision isn't affected with sugar like it is with alcohol. I'm not stumbling around, falling down. I'm not remembering things when I eat sugar where you're definitely doing all of those things with alcohol. Yeah. Yes. Although I have, you know, come across a lot of people when they're like in the midst of a binge, a sugar binge, 
where their their brain has checked out during that binge and you ask them what did you eat they have no idea what did you do they have no idea so and I'm not trying to to you know bring them to a comparison I'm just saying you know it's it my point is you know I wish that there were as much effort made about sugar as there have has been about alcohol and cigarettes and so on and drugs yeah i agree with that wholeheartedly because there are so many things happening with sugar internally in your body that are so detrimental and so dangerous and your quality of life and you know listen when i quit sugar last year i had my own rock bottom moment with that too and it was a sugar binge where I literally just disgusted myself. I was just binging sugar for an entire day. And I just, I was grossed out by myself and my behavior. And that was the rock bottom moment for that. So, I mean, I don't do anything necessarily in a healthy way. (laughs) I am a compulsive person. So I have to always be mindful of that. But I had been battling sugar the same way I battled alcohol, right? Where it was on my mind. I knew I wasn't doing it well. I knew it was affecting me. I knew it was affecting my quality of life. It was affecting my me mentally, right? Sugar makes me very sad. So, you know, if I eat, if I were eating sugar one day, the next day, I would be very sad. Of course, it depletes your energy. You have that sugar crash, So I had no energy to follow through on things. I was always bloated. I was grumpy and irritable, you know, so it, it, there are a lot of parallels. I mean, it definitely affects your life negatively. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yes. And, um, you know, you could argue it doesn't put other people's lives in danger, but, you know, we can go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) But I want to come back to the, when you were 33 and a half and you had this, car accident um and was that after that was that the last time you drank I drank one more night after that and I was really in an odd situation I had no desire to drink I didn't want to drink I had laid in my house for a few days detoxing after my accident And some friends of mine and I had bought concert tickets like months before any of this happened. So they're calling me like, Angela, are you coming to the show? You have to get out of your house. Everybody knew that I had just crashed my car and I was injured also. Like I wasn't, I didn't walk away unscathed either. So my face was a mess. I had busted my nose. I cracked my head in a couple of places Um, My whole lower half of my face was swollen from my nose. And they're like, you have to come to the show. We've had these tickets forever. You've got to get out of the house. And I thought that they would just understand I wasn't drinking because in my head, there was no way, like I was done with drinking and we go to the show. I agree to go. We go to the show. I didn't drive. Of course, I was terrified to drive after my accident. Um, So I didn't drive. I was stuck. And the show was like an hour away from home. So we're at this concert. We're standing in line. And my friend looks at me and he's like, I'm going to go get something to drink. What do you want? And I, I remember being stunned. I was like, why is he asking me if I want something to drink? Like I just had this car accident. Why would he even ask me that? And I had the strength to say no once. 
And that time I was like, I'm not drinking. And he just looked at me and he goes, of course you are. He goes, if I get you something at the bar, you're going to drink it. So you may as well get what you want. Hmm. And in that moment, so many things went through my head. I was like, I don't have a ride home. I didn't have my own car. I'm an hour from home. I didn't have anybody that was going to drive an hour to pick me up. I had already burned all of those bridges. I didn't have a hundred dollars for a cab ride, you know? So all these things went through my head and I thought, am I going to be out with all these people this whole night and be miserable because I'm the only sober person. They're going to be mad at me. Like it's going to be crazy. And in that second, I just said, okay, I'll drink. I'll just drink. This is the last time. And I will never put myself in this position again. I just want to take a quick break to thank you for listening to this podcast, for rating it, and for leaving a review. I love reading your reviews. And if you, dear listener, haven't rated or reviewed this podcast yet, could I ask you to do that by scrolling down, tapping on the stars to rate this podcast, and tapping on write a review to write your review. The more reviews and ratings this podcast has, the more it gets shared and the more people we can help to begin their life after sugar. Thank you. And that was it. That was a Friday night. I woke up the next morning, Saturday morning. The first thought that went through my head is I thought, thank God that's over. And just really thinking about my drinking life because I knew that was done. And because I didn't even want to drink that night, you know, and I just understood that I had to really protect myself and make sure that I always had my own car and make sure that people understand when I go out, I'm not drinking and drawing those boundaries and being really clear about it. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And that shows the huge social pressure to, in your case, consume alcohol you know, for life after sugar, to eat sugar, it's just, it's like nobody accepts no for an answer, you know? Yeah. And did you go through like detox? So I did detox at home, which I would never recommend to anyone because withdrawing from alcohol is very dangerous. And a lot of people don't know that, but alcohol is one of the only withdrawal processes you can die from. So it is very, very dangerous. I did not know that then. Uh, I just laid around with my dog and he was very patient and understanding. And, <laughs> and we got through it, you know, and it was several days, about four or five days that I felt really bad. Um, and then I was able to start getting up and eating again and start getting it together. Gosh, yes, it does sound like sugar detox, you know, I had a sort of a milder version of that, because I guess, physically, it's not the same kind of thing. But it's bad enough for me not not to want to repeat it. So sure. yeah, I sympathize with that. Um, and then so after that, sort of the first three or four days, then you were like, yeah, no, I don't miss it. I don't want it just like that. I was so done with drinking. And really, I had known for a couple of years, I would say two to three years, I had really had the thought in the back of my head that I needed to quit drinking. I, I knew it was coming. But again, I always thought that 
I was going to die. And I know that sounds so terrible, but that's really what I thought. I just thought at some point I would go to bed and not wake up. So I didn't think I would really have to do anything, you know? Mm. Um, But I was so grateful to leave that life behind because also in those few years of thinking about quitting and having that, the weight of those thoughts on you and all the fear of, oh my gosh, what would my life look like? What would I do? Because my whole life revolved around drinking, including my job, because I was a bartender. So Uh everything I did revolved around drinking and facing those fears and having the weight of that on me for those last few years, it was really heavy. So when I was finally in that moment, that rock bottom moment where it was no longer an option, to be honest, I was really grateful. I was like, oh, thank God. Like, I can't go back to drinking. I don't ever want to be in that position again. I hated my life. I hated the person I had become. And I wanted nothing more than to move forward. But had I not had that rock bottom moment, I would have never had the courage to do it. Yes, yes, that that sounds familiar from stories I've heard for sugar. And um, all the things that you were using alcohol for, reward, comfort, social acceptance, you know, fun. Well, what happened to all that stuff without the alcohol? So I was really fortunate. I went to AA and, you know, a lot of people love AA. A lot of people don't. I'm okay either way. Um, it was just what worked for me. And when I got sober was a really long time ago and there weren't a lot of other options at that time. So I knew I needed something that I could be engaged in every day. I knew I needed that. Um, so I started going to AA at which point then I kind of had a place to make friends. I had a place that I went every day that I had total acceptance for being sober, right? I didn't have to explain myself a lot because everybody else in the room was on the same journey. And then I made new friends and we had a blast. I mean, I never had a boring moment in my recovery, but that's because of the effort I put into it. You know, I hear so many people talk about quitting drinking or whatever their substance may be. And they talk about this boredom or they don't know what to do with themselves, but really all they're doing is sitting at home kind of feeling sorry for themselves. And I'm like, well, I always say to my clients, like a busload of sober people is not going to show up at your door and ask to be your friend. Like you have to put energy into creating that life. If that's the life you want, if you want non-drinking friends, then go meet people that aren't in drinking places and say hi and start a conversation. Like you have to put that energy into creating the life that you want. And, and that's what I did. That's exactly what I did. I went full force into building a new life. I wasn't worried about my old life. I wasn't thinking about my old life. I wasn't missing my old life. I just put all my energy into creating my new life. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. And it's uh, sometimes I say, you know, people who think that if you don't drink, or in my case, if you don't eat sugar, then you're no fun. And I'm like, have we even met? You know, <laughs> you think yeah. that I'm no fun, then we obviously haven't met. <laughs> right. And, you know, I've gone through a lot of those same thought processes with sugar and the fears and the social aspects of it, you know, going to family gatherings or holidays where I'm like, 
what am I going to say? Because everybody knows me as the dessert person, right? Like I'm the first person getting out the dessert after dinner. And I had all those same thought processes like that I hear my clients talk to me about with alcohol and substances. Like, what are people going to say? How am I going to navigate this? What am I going to say? How am I going to get through this? It's going to be awkward. Yeah, it's interesting. There are a lot of parallels. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. And for for the brain, how does alcohol affect the brain? Um, not just to make you feel drunk. I mean, just long term, even now that you, you're sober and have been sober for so many years, has alcohol affected your brain like forever? It certainly can. I mean, I don't recognize any deficits at this point, but because I think a lot of that stuff is definitely fixable. I mean, it will take a toll on your brain, but your brain is pretty magnificent. So is your body. So a lot of things you can definitely fix by taking care of yourself and nourishing yourself properly and helping your body and brain function the way they were made to. Um, but one of the challenging things with addiction is that it affects so many areas of your life. So there's definitely a brain part of it. And alcohol is addiction is considered a brain disease because when you partake long enough, it, it changes your brain, even physically, um, which I think sugar does as well. Yep. And, apparently. and sugar hits the same receptors in the brain that, that alcohol and drugs do. So you do get that same kind of euphoria and not on the level that you do with alcohol and drugs where it really compromises you and your safety and, and those kind of things. But, um, but it is a very similar process in the brain. Uh, it definitely affects your sleep and your ability to sleep. It increases your anxiety. Um, people talk a lot about like the day after they drink, they're super anxious, which is a hundred percent accurate. It also affects how your brain stores memories. So your short-term memory is definitely compromised, but your brain, when your brain stores memories, it goes through a process at night while you're asleep where it decides what information it's going to store in what file. Is this going to be a short-term file? Is this going to be a long-term file? Um, are we going to discard it altogether? And when your sleep is compromised, obviously your brain can't go through those systems properly either. So there are a lot of long-term effects. You know, some of the physical things people can have, um, neuropathy is, is a popular one that people can deal with there. Of course, there's always several cancers can become a part of that down the road for some of the damage we do to ourselves, certainly just like smoking cigarettes. A lot of people in addiction smoke cigarettes too. I did for 20 years. So that's, you know, part of what some of the long-term effects can be. But I think the majority of my stuff was fixable pretty quickly, honestly. Yeah. When you stop completely. Yeah. And you were telling me that you found it more difficult to stop eating sugar than to stop drinking alcohol. Oh my gosh. Sugar was so much harder and it was harder than when I quit cigarettes too. Like I said, I was a smoker for 20 years and I put cigarettes down in a similar way of alcohol where I was like, I'm done not doing it anymore. And I just didn't do it anymore. And I don't remember it being particularly challenging. Um, of course, that was a long time ago too. But I think the harder thing with sugar is I had so many rituals around sugar. 
So literally everything I do on a daily basis, everywhere I go, I had some sugar ritual. You know, if I stop at this gas station, I get this gummy candy because they carry it here. I go shopping at this store and I know by the register they have this other candy I love. Or I go in this convenience store and it's, you know, cakes or something like everywhere I go, I have a sugar ritual. So I felt like I was in a constant state of triggered, (laughs) you Mm. know, it was just triggered 24 seven where I didn't necessarily have that with alcohol because if I wasn't in the bar, you know, if I was at home or I was in AA, like I wasn't triggered. Huh? Yes. Where sugar, it it was everywhere, everywhere, everything I did. Exactly. Yes. That's, that's right. It's, we have this, we're just surrounded by sugar, flour, processed foods. And it's not the case with alcohol. Plus, we don't give alcohol to our babies and kids, mm-hmm. you know, to, to say happy birthday, for example, which we do with sugar. So it's not only is sugar socially acceptable, it's socially encouraged. And we can't really say that of alcohol and cigarettes. I mean, you could probably say that in America. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get into the America Canada wars. <laughs> it is pretty encouraged here for sure. Um it is it's a very social thing drinking and sugar, you know, they are very social things and they are very acceptable ways to do everything, celebrate, connect, relax. You know, all of those things kind of revolve around alcohol. Yeah. It's a huge industry here. It's a huge, huge industry, but you're right. It's not, um, I can be around non-drinking people. I can create a life for myself with non-drinking people, which is what I did from day one, but you can't necessarily create a life for yourself. That's sugar-free all the time. And the other thing that I learned more recently was sugar. There's so much sugar hidden in things that you don't think have sugar. And that was another thing that was challenging where I would eat something in that wouldn't be candy or pastries or something like that. And all of a sudden I would find myself craving sugar. And I'm like, why the heck am I craving sugar right now? I mean, I found out even the chicken stock, the chicken broth that I bought at the store had sugar in it. I'm like, what the heck? This is insanity. It's crazy. It's true. Yeah. It's not like they sneak in alcohol into products, right. right? But they do it with sugar. So we yeah. you think you're sugar free and then you realize, yeah, as you say, I'm triggered. How come? Oh, ketchup. Oh, the mayonnaise. Oh, this and that. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet stuff. It's very sneaky. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say the food industry is sneaky. Sugar yes. sugar's inanimate. It's not sugar's fault. No, yeah, no, I meant that I meant the food industry. They're definitely very sneaky. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And so what do you do when something like that happens? You realize, oh, I've been eating sugar. I wasn't meaning to eat sugar, but it snuck in there. Do you like feel, oh, I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing this perfectly. Or are you like, well, you know, onwards? I definitely do not beat myself up for it. I mean, my intention was never to be perfect. My intention 
was always to be more healthful because I know that sugar is not good for me. Just like I know that alcohol is not good for me. And that was a major shift for me in my mindset where, because before when I was younger, everything was about weight and how I looked and nothing was ever sustainable with that mindset. Right. But when I shifted to a mindset of like, you know what, I just want to be caring for myself better. Like I have really abused my body over the years and it has never given up on me and it had more than the right to give up on me if it wanted to and it didn't and I just wanted to treat myself better I wanted to be better and I wanted to feel better so once I had that mindset it was a much easier process now I don't I don't mind like if I have a little ketchup or something, I don't even eat ketchup, but if I have a little something here and there, I am not going to stress about that. I do. I do have the awareness that it may cause a craving and I do have to have that awareness and know that I might have to fight through this a little bit later. Um, but that has gotten much easier too. Yeah. Yes. That's great. You know, I think show ourselves some self-compassion. We don't have to be perfect. No one except for ourselves is expecting us to be perfect. And then when we let go of that for ourselves, it's like, hallelujah, I'm free at last. Yeah. yeah. And really just the magnitude of candy that I was eating. So I am, I love gummy candy, you know, gummy bears, worms, all of them. I love all of them. And I was ice cream for a long time and really doing ice cream, very out of control and unhealthy. So it's like the level that I was doing it was so damaging to me. And again, like I said, my quality of life and my state of mind and just being sad and physically feeling gross and heavy and tired. For me in the beginning, I just wanted that to go away. You know, it wasn't necessarily about being perfect, but I also have the awareness about myself that I am a compulsive person and I am either a hundred percent in or a hundred percent out. But for me, it wasn't sugar as a whole. It was the candies and desserts. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, we're very similar, except for the drinking. <laughs> <laughs> One massive thing that is in between. How old are you now? I am 50. Okay. Yeah, so we're similar in age as well. I'm soon to be 53. Um, and so would you say that you are alcohol-free and sugar-free or do you not sort of think in those terms of free anything? Yeah. I mean, I consider myself sober. I call myself sober. Alcohol free is kind of a new term that is really more about marketing than anything else. Gotcha. Um, and I'm fine with that too, you know, because I think a lot of people don't want to say sober because sober is connected to alcoholic and people aren't always comfortable calling themselves an alcoholic either. I've never had a problem with that. It's never bothered me to be an alcoholic. I kind of wear that as a badge of honor. So I'm sober. Um, I wouldn't say I'm sugar-free again, because, you know, if I have something that, if I have some mayonnaise and it has some sugar in it, I'm okay with that. I'm yeah. much more mindful of it now than I was before, but I don't think that I am rigid enough to call myself sugar-free. Yeah, but I do say like, I don't eat desserts. Like I don't, I, I say I don't eat sugar and mostly that's what I mean is desserts. 
We've got you. Yes, yes. And you were just telling me that you came back from Mexico recently and uh, that you found that you were, was it that you were craving more while you were there because you were eating more sugar there? So this is one of the social things, right? Where I go with my friend and we get there and it was, come on, we're on vacation. And I think there's a connotation of like when you have a certain meal plan that you follow or style of eating that you're comfortable with, people perceive that as difficult, you know, oh, this is going to be hard. It's going to make eating hard. It's going to be hard to go to a restaurant. Oh, everything's going to be, you know, we're going to go to the restaurant and it's going to be an issue trying to find something that she can eat. So I really gave into that premise of like, I don't want this to be difficult. I don't want to overthink about it and then be mad that I can't adhere to my normal meal plan like I would, right? Because all your routines, when you travel, all your routines are turned upside down. So I just kind of gave myself a pass. It also wasn't really my vacation. It was my girlfriend's daughter's senior trip. So I also wanted to really take a back seat to her and her planning and what she wanted to do and being with her friends and uh, and I was just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, yes, I totally get that. Yes. So basically, you had fun even without alcohol. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. And, you know, I'm even doing, uh, I'm doing sober vacations. You know, I'm doing my first sober vacation this year for people just to show because I think a lot of people quit drinking and they don't even know that you can go do these things. And I've always traveled and I've traveled the world and I've done a lot of it alone and all of it in my sobriety. So, you know, it's, I want to show everybody, like you can do all of this stuff. Like if you don't drink, you can still do all the same things that everybody else does. Yeah, You know, if you don't eat sugar, you can still go on vacation and enjoy yourself and, yeah. and have fun. It doesn't actually you know, eating sugar or not eating sugar doesn't make the ocean less enjoyable. <laughs> Love that. Exactly. Yes. And I've had trips and three month backpacking trip around Europe with my family being sugar free and all inclusive, being sugar free. And I always say that the fun and the enjoyment that you have in life and the happiness that and the joy in life, you carry that inside you. It's yeah. not on a plate or in a bottle. It's That's inside right. you. Yeah. That's one of the biggest mistakes people make when they want to make a huge life change is they think it's about the things outside themselves, right? Especially with addiction, like we're always reaching for outside things to change how we feel on the inside. And it's like, this is an inside job. This all starts and ends inside of you. You decide how you feel and what you want your experience to be. It doesn't have anything to do with the outside stuff. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Thank you so much. for That's a wonderful way of explaining it. And that parallel between alcohol and sugar, I think needs to be made more often. So thank you for making it. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of parallels. It, it is interesting. Totally. Thank you. If people want to listen to your podcast or get in touch with you, how can they do that? Absolutely. The podcast is called Addiction Unlimited, and you can find me on all the social media platforms at Addiction Unlimited.
Lovely. Thank you, Angela. Pleasure. Thank you, Nada. What a great chat with Angela. And isn't it amazing just how many parallels there are between sugar and alcohol? And okay, they may not affect the brain and the body in exactly the same way, but if you've ever had overwhelming cravings or you felt that you just can't stop eating sugary foods or even starchy foods like chips, then you can understand Angela and myself when we say how great life is when you feel free from those types of behaviors. But it's tough to get there all on your own. And just like Angela and myself, you may need a helping hand. So if you're ready and committed to your own well-being and to improving your health by cutting sugar, and if you want to be with other like-minded people, then join us in the After Sugar Club. When you sign up, you'll get all the support, the accountability and the guidance you need to break free from the diet culture as well as from the emotional dependency that you have on sugar. Go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the big green button, join the club to see everything that's included in the After Sugar Club and in the premium After Sugar Club where you'll get much more personalized and customized guidance and feedback to help you on your journey to breaking free from sugar. Plus, you get a whole year for free in the After Sugar Club when you sign up for the premium option. Go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the big green button to join us. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.